Hello and welcome to I Wish I Knew That About Songwriting, the show where we bring you tips, tricks and techniques that we wish we knew as young songwriters. On this show, we focus on interviews, we focus on resources, subjects you're going to find useful and you can go home and you can use them today. So thank you so much for listening and welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello. Today we have what's a special episode, I think, for us. It's only the second one we've done, but this is a questions episode, which we absolutely love. So thank you to Tanya Florencio for sending in your questions. And again, it's so cool to have these because then we can get a direct line to you guys as to what you find interesting, what we can learn about, what we can help you out about. So that's T-Flow Reviews. Thank you, Tanya, for sending these in. Before that, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of us if we didn't go into our song of the episode or song of the day. So Callum, if you want to start off, you go for it. Yeah. So my song of the week this week is by Mr. Luke Combs. <laughs> Which we had a little fun time figuring out how to say before we came on. <laughs> yes, I thought it was Combs. And the song is When It Rains It Pours. And Luke is such a cool guy. I was very fortunate to meet him on one of the Country Music Association tours. And this song is a very cool song. I remember when I first heard it, the twist of phrase in it, without trying to overdo it, really sort of blew my mind. It's got an undertone of sadness and it's a breakup song. It's about a man following this breakup, but instead of lamenting in his bear over the end of his relationship, he finds this stroke of good luck. So instead of focusing on all the negative things that are happening to him, my girl's left me, my car's broken down. He chooses to focus on all the positive things that are happening to him. And some of the lines of the lyrics include, I won a hundred bucks on a scratch off ticket. I bought two 12 packs and a tank of gas with it. And eventually it gets to the killer line, which is, and I ain't going to see my ex future mother-in-law anymore. (laughs) Oh Lord, when it rains, it pours. It's so cool, isn't it? Such a good, yeah. Just think how many songs come out of Nashville every single day that are about that first thing you assume it's about, which is all the things that have gone wrong and when it rains, it pours, all the negativity. But I think that's why he's a really clever artist because whoever he's worked with on those songs have just managed to take something and do it differently. And that's what we should all be aspiring to do. Yeah. That's great. That's a really good example. And a really interesting artist. And I know for a fact he's done... Um, as Ross Golan always does, a really good interview on And The Writer Is, if you want to check that out as well for more in-depth on him. My song of the day actually came up, today I was on YouTube and I saw, we did we interviewed Amy and Nick, who are the writers of The Golden Fleece, which is an awesome, hopefully will be a new musical. Everything goes well for them because it's a long process. But they released a song today called Mortal Like You. And it's just a really, really interesting song in terms of, if you want to look at it, Theoretically, uh, the voices on show are wonderful, the theatrics, the storytelling. So there is really quite a lot there. So it's not necessarily something specific, but in light of what we're talking about today, you know, when you've hit the chorus, you know, when you've hit that hook, when you know, when you've hit home and like Callum is going to say, I think the title is in the chorus. Um, and that is really important as you'll find in a lot of country songs. And also they've got this really cool interlude in the second verse of the goddess is coming in and it may sound a bit crazy, but go and listen to that because there's some really interesting, and I think very commercial songwriting going on in and amongst something quite conventional. So I think really good song, Mortal Like You, The Golden Fleece, go and check it out, subscribe, get involved with those guys. Some really, really wonderful content 
So without further ado, we're going to be going into the first of Tanya's questions. Her first question is an interesting one. How to write a melody on an instrument. So my thoughts on this were initially, this is something we might forward to one of our virtuosic guests in the future, one of the producers or arrangers, but we definitely have some stuff today. So things that came to mind, it can be a little bit restrictive when you're writing on, for example, a guitar or a piano or anything you choose when it comes to writing a melody, I'm assuming for a voice, but it does have its advantages that one of those being the biggest one. I mean, I just watched this great, great show on the Swedish kind of pop influx that happened because they focus on melody. And when you're writing on an instrument, you have no choice but to focus on melody. And you're not worrying about lyrics, song structure, anything like that. You're just getting these songs together, might be fluidly playing on a, on a keyboard or on a guitar. So there can be some restrictions, but also the advantages you could focus on the melody. And I would say if you are going to write a melody for a vocal, it can be quite staccato and there's a lot of that around as well. But you need to think about, can, is this singable? Is the pitch right? Is the range going to be okay for a singer? Does it flow like a voice would? Does it speak as a voice would? And often you might find that a lot of lead guitar melodies and vocal melodies are quite similar. You know, really, really good guitar players can play really beautifully and fluidly and have that marry really well into into a vocal melody. So understanding that is quite important and obviously layering on lyrics later. It does let you focus on really effective and really nice lyrics. But again, that's something we might forward one of our guests in future for you, Tanya. Yeah, that's a really good question. Was that documentary... This is pop on Netflix. Yeah, this is pop on Netflix. The first yeah. episode, because um, I think the auto tune one comes up first. But I wasn't particularly interested in that, so I, w- I looked at the Brill Building today, which is amazing. And the first one is about mm. Swedish pop, Danish pop. Yeah, yes, it's very good. I've been watching that as well. Amazing. The country one's really good as well. I can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah, that's the next one. And the thing you said about lead guitar melodies as well, really good. If you want something to check out, Gravity by John Mayer. Oh. Wow, His yeah. Where the Light Is show is incredible for some melodies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That song there. in particular, Gravity, the solo in that is just, it goes on for about f- probably four minutes, but it comes back around again and he actually plays the melody on the guitar. It gives me goosebumps every time I hear that. Actually, so. that's a really good point, Callum. Sorry, t- two examples we talked about before. One, uh, Sam Hunt does it twice, Break Up in a Small Town. I think Yun once as well when he copies the chorus melody yeah. on guitar. And then yeah. also, obviously, Kurt Cobain yeah. on behalf of Nirvana. But yeah, that's a really good point, Callum. Yeah, that is a long solo, but it doesn't feel like it because John Mayer's a genius, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, we love John Mayer over here. So for me, writing a melody with an instrument, outside of guitar and singing... Personally, I've only ever really tried to sing a melody and really poorly attempted to write one out as a MIDI instrument. But that is a good way to try and approach writing a melody with an instrument. If you have a good ear or budget depending by yourself, I recommend getting a little Akai MIDI Pro keyboard. I've got one here with me and I always use it at home to get down ideas fast. And it comes with a case, tucks away really nicely anywhere. It has two octaves that can be changed up and down. It has eight drum pads that can be programmed using your DAW. And it can be plugged in using USB to any laptop or computer. It can play pretty much any VST or virtual instrument. And it's just a really good way to get down simple melodies 
quickly and effectively to accompany your backing tracks and ideas or even a full on melody. That's really good, actually, really good advice because that is very compact and it's very useful. And again, hopefully this question is about how you make it easy for yourself and how you write something fluid, something effective and something very interesting melodically. You know, it doesn't have to be that complex either because you've got, you know, 12 tones, all these keys, everything in front of you. But what's the nut of the song? What's really important? Yeah. So moving on to question two, what makes a good chorus? What are your thoughts on this, Jamie? So normally a pronounced interval, for example, more than a perfect fourth. Uh, Often it's a fifth with pop going into a chorus. And what I mean is the interval, so the distance between the last note you sung in the verse or the pre-chorus, the previous section, is at least, you know, a fifth or a fourth away from where you end up normally going higher into your chorus. And the reason for this is it's quite notable. It's in nature, it's in school writing, it's in obviously music, but any kind of particular changes in tone are really noticeable and they're really memorable and they're quite pleasing. So making making use of this kind of natural, this natural inference of notes is really important. And of course, big one we talk about all the time, hooks. You know, have you got your hooks in your chorus, whether it's one hook, two hooks, is it the main hook? And then you've got the post-chorus hook, you know, how are you doing this? That's really important to so having a really hooky section. And that moves on to, for me, notable melodies and contrast with the other sections that we talked about, you know, is your chorus really open, airy, really emotive, really memorable? Cause the, cause the melodies open, the notes are up high, it's long drawn out notes. And then you've got a really tight and kind of sophisticated and interesting verse. You know, have you got that contrast? That's melodic maths. Or inversely, you've got really drawn out, quite broad verse melodies. And then the chorus, you're hitting them really hard with something staccato, something rhythmic. So that contrast is really important. And also, Callum will probably touch on this as well, but nailing the meaning. Are you nailing the meaning in the song? Do people know you've reached the chorus? Have you hit what Ralph Murphy calls the nut of the song? Is that what people are hearing in your chorus? And normally as well, in terms of production, it's normally the busiest, most notable section. So there might be the most going on or they've brought in a particular feature for that. You know, would it be like a punchy synth or something or, or a kind of open chords? You know, what's what's in that chorus that's really interesting because that's quite important as well. So again, I've said memorable and emotive. Do people going to remember the lyrics you've sung, the hooks you've sung? Are they simple enough? Is it emotive? Do people care? You know, and I think... Use of pronouns is quite important here. So are you are you hitting someone? You'll find this as well if you're listening. Listening choruses, often a lot of pronouns, there's often a lot of directed language. And my final point on that, you need to know when you've hit a chorus. And that's not necessarily that technical, but you know what I mean. You feel it. And it's not always that easy to do. I'm not saying it's really simple because you do question what you do, like we've talked about, but that's where you want to be. Emotive, memorable, you know you've got there. The choruses. Mm. Yeah. All great points, man. And I think you hit on pretty much everything you need in a chorus. Change is so important. Usually it does. There's there's always a contrast, whether it's changing up or going down, it going from really short notes in the verse to really long drawn out notes in the chorus or the opposite. The point is there will be some sort of contrast. And production-wise, like you said, it'll, it'll usually be much busier in the chorus. Max Martin, one of the kings, talks about he'll always add something new every chorus to differentiate between the, d- the different choruses. And reward people, he says. Yeah. Rewarding people for, and he's known for being very kind of exacting when he's recording. He'll make sure that someone will sing every chorus because he wants that little bit of difference in each chorus. Yeah. 
and it, it could just be a cowbell, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or a snare, something really simple that doesn't need to be crazy because he's also a guy that says, you know, important four elements and something. Mm. Yeah. And that is actually really important is you don't want to overcrowd it or overcrowd it rather because it'll probably just detract from it. And definitely going and the meaning of your song really key. Every chorus needs to contain your song title. Yeah. That's important. Most of the time, right? You know, like we said, like 99% of the time, the stuff we're talking about, like country or commercial, pop, hip hop, R&B, very much yeah. the titles mm. in the chorus. We're saying. This is your opportunity to drive home your idea. Drive home. What is the meaning, the point of your song? It's also why it generally needs to be the hookiest part of your song because it's what's going to draw in listeners, whether it's in a shopping mall, a bar, a Spotify playlist, wherever. And going back to the changes in contrast or whether you lift up or go down, generally, most people or most choruses, especially in country, tend to go up. Yeah. But and in pop generally, that is the natural like sort said, of- 99%. Yeah, yeah. They go up. But a lot of people are tending to go down. And a great example of this would be Charlie Poo's attention. And there was all that build, all that tension. You felt the chorus come th- uh, coming and then- yeah, it surprised us, and it, it's attention grabbing, ironically, and mm. it kind of comes from like we say most songs because there's actually a lot of music that's maybe like Eurohouse or Underground where actually the chorus is a drop, and it's whether you focus on the bass and a short hook, and it's it's more of a groove. So that is definitely a good way to do a chorus too, but it tends to stick with a lot of the rules in terms of contrast and nailing home a line. Yeah, but so going on to what makes a good transition between. Verses and chorus. Question three. So we can also take that as, you know, from a pre-chorus to a chorus, just to just to broaden it a little bit. But I'm going to try and hone in on what you've said here. So what I found is that often you're in need of a resolution and a contrast. That's when you need to really think, okay, now comes my chorus. And I'm saying this kind of abstractly because you've got to think about it. When is a good transition from a verse to a chorus also means, have I done my job in the verse? Have I established the characters? Have I established the story? Have I established something interesting? Is there any intrigue? Have I engineered some interesting production to build tension? These things are also quite important for your transition into a chorus. So if sufficient tension has been engineered, have you got detail, you know, contrast like we're talking about, is that ready? Have you built up a real solid identity in that verse? Something I'll leave Callum to explain, but power lines is a really good one, which he'll go into. Another thing for the actual transition Production tricks. You know, have you got a riser? Have you got a specific drum fill? Or or vocally, have you got a lead in? That's a really cool one that people do is they leave a gap between the verse and the chorus and they'll have the singer kind of almost like cueing in a band in the the 50s or something. You know, they'll have a lead in that's going to bring you into that chorus. Gaps. Like I've said, it's quite a big one as well. Giving some contrast, giving some silence to it. Rhythmic changes can be a big one in terms of transition. Maybe a fill into a bigger change of rhythm, more of a like a stronger beat or an increase in what you've done, building on what you've done so far. It's quite a specific and short thing, but I would say as well, when you're doing it is important. You know, is it 40 seconds? Is it 30 seconds? Are you going for Spotify? Are you going for your own thing? You know, when are you transitioning is as important as how you do it too. And my final thing would be studying other people. What are they doing? Not copying it, but like I heard today in the, in the documentary, doing it better. How can I take something I like and do it better? Not just copy it because of the sake of copying. So it's quite a niche thing, but transitioning from verses to choruses is important. So that's, those are my takes on that, that question. 
some really good points in there, Jamie. And I think what you said, particularly about when your chorus is and when you transition to your chorus is really key because whether you know, whether you do it 30 seconds, 40 seconds in, it really depends on what you're aiming for. Yeah. Maybe you have an eight minute piece that you're doing it. You know, it's the mixed American pie by Don McLean, but so you don't care when your course is going to begin. As long as you know what you're aiming for, then right to that. So if you're aiming for radio play, also, you know, if you're aiming for pitch to a certain artist, if you're aiming to get a cut with Taylor Swift, then listen to her songs. And I guarantee you her choruses will be hitting before the minute mark. Yeah. Or they're in the intro. Yeah, exactly. And so if we're going to pitch a song to, to this artist and our choruses are hitting at one minute 20 or one minute 10 and our song's four minutes 30, then mm, it's probably, they're probably not going to cut it, you know? Yeah. And so on to power lines. These are incredible. Since reading about power lines in Pat Patterson's book, Writing the Lyrics, and Pat Patterson actually calls them power positions, he talks about how the opening and closing lines of any lyric section are naturally strong. And since hearing about these, I've just found them incredible. And you'll start to hear them everywhere, especially in country music. And so the closing line of a verse is so important because it will communicate an idea more forcefully. And people will carry whatever has been said last with them into the chorus. So as a practical thing to do, I would suggest you go and listen to some of your favorite songs and listen to those first and last lines and the emphasis that they're placing. Yeah, it's, it's really important. And again, we've, that's a transition between verse and chorus. And as much as maybe your question was focused on the two, three seconds that precede a chorus, we're trying to get you to think about the whole thing is, you know, holistically, have you opened, like Callum's saying, have you got a power position and a power line? Start power line at the end. Same with your choruses. That's where the post-choruses come from. Um, so we can go into that another day. It might be musically inclined, this question. So what are we doing with the instruments to build the tension and cohesively move into the chorus? But if you're writing pop music and you're writing music that does have lyrics, this is such a great tool because... It's like Pat Patterson does say, the last line will stay with the listener. And so whatever you do, whether it's a little riff, lifting up, dropping down, like we've, we've talked about, whatever has left the vocalist lips last, that's what's usually, usually going to stay with the listener. And because the vocal usually leads the song. So like going back to my song of the week this week, before it leads into the chorus, the power line would be, Oh, but she was wrong. She saw that they were a waste of time, sorry. Oh, but she was wrong. And it's a very simple line, but that stays with you. Because up until that point, it's been like, oh, Rosie, 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 Rosie. Next thing, next thing, next thing. Next thing, next thing, next yeah. thing, yeah. And then it's like, pause. Oh, but she was wrong. You know, got a little riff straight into the chorus. And there's there that is absolutely everywhere as well like yeah country is almost like battered to death because it does it so obviously (laughs) but pop music everything does it all over the place both songs you mentioned today actually do use that as well so that's a good one that's come out of that question turning words using every imaginable trick and it's 
really quite simple at the same time as well. The things that do really well. So the last question is a really good one. The question is, how do you write songs when you are suffering from writer's block? And if you've been listening to this episode going, all right, brilliant. Well, these things might be helpful if I had a song, you know, that that's what I think a lot of this kind of thing focuses on is what to do when you have a song or an idea or what to do with your number one, you know, all this kind of stuff we're trying to avoid. So leaving the room, if you're sitting and trying to write in front of a piano, in front of a guitar, it can be really difficult. And you sometimes just go and have a cup of tea. And again, I'll come to why that's important at the end, but go and walk through a doorframe. As they say, you might find something that comes to you. Also pick up a new instrument. These things can be quite difficult to do. And another thing I find is really important. It's something we talked, I talked about recently with, with someone else as well, but if you're trying to write a verse, you're sat there, you've got the chords, great. You're trying to write a verse and you're leaving your subconscious to try and do that, but you haven't given it the characters, you haven't given it the story, you haven't given it the trajectory, any of the details, anything that's happening. How can your subconscious do that work for you if you haven't given it the details? Sometimes it's going back to that basic thing of, right, what am I trying to do here? Not write a brilliant song, you know, get all up in your head like Luke was talking about. It's how am I going to just start writing this verse, start humming something. And whether that's from a new little thing you've got on your logic profile or on your keyboard or on your guitar, what have you got that can bring you into that creative space again and start that? And my, my next super point, which I'll use a little anecdote from Sam, but my super point that we didn't talk about, I think before is collaboration. And this one is really important because I think I was actually writing a few things and I was actually talking about lightning writing when I wrote this idea, but I wrote like this K-pop idea and I sent it over to Sam Bauer, who you'll hear from in, in future with us. And it lifted him out of his writer's block because someone else had sent him something that he liked. They'd done that creative side of it initially because he's a very creative guy, he's a good writer, but someone had sent him something that he thought, oh, wow, that's brilliant. That's lifted me out of my, my little hum. Or you go and see your friend you write with, or you, you get over a Zoom call at the moment, but you try and collaborate and you try and bring that energy from someone else. If you don't have it yourself, go and find it. And then if you can't collaborate with someone, it's really simple. It's, it's go and write, go and watch something or listen to something new, something that would inspire, you know, if you love country music, go and listen to the new Netflix hour on country goes pop. Or if you love pop music, then go and listen to the, the one about Sweden or just dig through YouTube. You know, there's so much on there already. Listen to interviews, listen to people's life stories, going for a walk, going for a cup of tea or having your hours set. So you know that you're going to write it between this time and this time, and you're not going to burn out. Taking a holiday, taking a week off, I found some really good ideas came when I took a week off. So again, that's a blaze through um, with the added one of collaboration through what we talked about before. All those things are really important. Take a break, collaborate, get some inspiration. Something I've been using since I was maybe 15 or 16, it's what I call the inspiration meter. And I've always played in bands and written songs, played solo, but I wouldn't have done any of that if I wasn't inspired to by those initial bands. So I think of it like an inspiration meter or a thermometer that's filled up. You know, when you're full up, it's easy. You've got so much to draw on. You can write, you can perform, you can do all these things wonderfully. But when it's low and it's sputtering out, you need to fill it up again. So that might be taking a break, taking a walk, going, watching these things, collaborating. All these things can fill up your inspiration meter. And it's really important. And we'll talk about that again in future. But that was my take, Tanya. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. I really like the inspiration meter, man. 
it's really important to keep your inspiration levels up. Yeah. You know, yeah. it can be hard to find. So if you need some resources, just reach out and we'll, we'll try and ping you something helpful. Yeah. Especially when you're feeling low. Yeah. Two, two final things from us today. One of them being thinking of guys at Sharon Studios, Max Martin, Dennis Pop, you know, they did work really hard because they had a project. They weren't going in like a lot of us are, sadly, especially through lockdown, sitting in front and trying to create something on a keyboard. No, they had projects, they had deadlines. So if you can get involved with other people's projects, collaborating, getting deadlines, you'll find you're actually going to be inspired to do that because you kind of know, again, Sam talks really well on these. We have a great discussion, um, but you kind of know what you're going for, what you need to do and how you need to write. And that can be quite liberating. So having projects, having deadlines, working really hard, being exceptional. But at the same time, because we love to throw things at you that are contrasting on this show, be kind to yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself, because if you go so hard on yourself, I know from experience, you'll burn out and you'll hate it. And then you'll never give yourself a chance to write that song that you know you can write. Um, You know, the greatest song that hasn't been written yet. So don't burn yourselves out. Don't kill yourselves. And and the last thing, actually, because Tanya is really cool. And a few people I've spoken to were quite nervous to offer questions. As you can see, we love your questions. And actually, if you've got the ability to give us a question and come forward, even if you think it's simple, like I said to Tanya, like some people might not know this, and hopefully we're going to bring real levels to each question that we answer. So there's the basic, there's something more kind of conceptual, and then there's also advanced stuff for people that are really going out and doing it every day. So we welcome your questions and we, and we really enjoy it. And it, it inspires us to create something useful for you guys so you can go and use them every single day. Thank you again to Tanya for your question. Check out the songs we talked about. Have yourselves a wonderful day. Thank you for listening, as ever. Thanks, guys. To find out more about us and to get in touch, please head over to I Wish I Knew That Pod on Instagram. And don't forget to join the conversation on our Facebook community. Please also remember to email your questions about songwriting to I Wish I Knew That Pod at gmail.com. And we will answer these on our upcoming episodes. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this, we would really love it if you could give it a share or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And Jamie and I will talk to you on the next episode.